Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of our Wednesday night study entitled A Study of Prayer based on the book How to Pray by Ronnie Floyd. Since this is a discussion-based study, we have edited out the comments made by those in attendance due to the fact that they do not have a microphone. May you draw closer to God each day in your prayer life. Lesson number 10, How to Do Warfare in Prayer, Part 1. Uh, if you'd like to get out your notebook, Bible, interesting study tonight. In fact, it's kind of the beginning. I had, uh, as I was going through this this morning, I thought, you know, this is too much to handle in one lesson, so I kind of split it in half. But here's what we're going to deal with, and this is part one. How to do warfare in prayer. How to face Satan in prayer. Uh, the author of the book, his name is Ronnie Floyd, said that he, he remembered going to a service when he was a boy uh, in a black church. And he said that he admired and loved the pastor of that church. He, he and his father were great friends. And Ronnie Floyd said, I got to a friendship with this pastor as well. But he said the pastor of the church said something that he's never forgotten. If you're not having a head-on collision with the devil every day in your life, it probably means you are going in the same direction. Uh, I heard, I know my word, how true. Uh, one more time. If you're not having a head-on collision with the devil every day of your life, it probably means you're going in his same direction. Well, an accurate statement. You know, Jesus called Satan a liar. And the father of lies, in fact, as we're studying right now in John chapter 8, Jesus calls Satan a liar in the very current series that I'm preaching through right now. Uh, directly opposed to you and me as believers. So let's just get a, an overview of Satan. Uh, you know, we, we know that he is alive. We know that he exists. We know that he is opposed. We know that we do face him every day. But let's just get a, an overview of Satan. First of all, uh, he has been consumed with our destruction since the days of Adam and Eve. Satan has been consumed with destroying humanity since the very beginning of creation. And of course, he infected them with doubt and confusion and half-truths. I want us to read this passage of scripture where we see Satan's toolbox so much in Genesis chapter 3. Take your Bible, turn with me there. Genesis 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Of course, this is the moment that Adam and Eve fall into sin under Satan's misdirection of them and falsities toward them. So, Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. 
For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Half-truths. Misusing Scripture. Uh, so if we, if we tear it apart just a little bit, uh, first of all, in, in verse 1, he, he approaches the woman and says, God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. It is a question. Did God really say that? So at the very beginning, he brings a question into Eve's mind. Did God really say that to you? It, are those his words that you're not to eat of any tree of the garden? And, of course, the woman says to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Well, let me ask you this. Is that an accurate statement, really, of what God told her? No, it is not. If you back up to chapter 2, I think it's verse 17. Uh, look at verse 16. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die so where did Eve come up with the idea that God said you can't touch it either God said you can't eat of the fruit but she added to scripture looks like before uh, let's see before she was created Adam is the one who could very well have passed on faulty information about the Word of God to her. So let's not blame Eve completely. <laughs> Good point. Uh, that's what God told Adam before Eve's creation. But let me ask you this. If you don't understand the truth of Scripture, or you add to it or take away from it, are you going to get in trouble? There's your answer. Uh, all the time, you're going to get in trouble. You add to it, which she did, or take away from it. You lay yourself open to Satan because he is a trickster, uh, and he knows how to twist Scripture to twist up your mind. So she added something to it which lays her open to being misled, uh, and that's dangerous in itself. Verse 4, the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. So he directly challenges the word of God because God told Adam, you will die if you eat of this fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So, so Satan absolutely confronts her saying, God did not tell you the truth. You will not die if you eat of the fruit. Even though he said it, you're not going to die. For God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. So, so basically, Satan tells Eve, God told you that you would die, but you will not die. He just told you that to keep you from eating it so you won't become like him. So that your eyes won't be open, and you'll be as wise as he is. That's the pathway to his wisdom, and he doesn't want you to have it. So he gives you the ruse that you're going to die if you shall eat of this tree. And that's not true. He just doesn't want you to be as wise as he is. Can you see any correlations with what we're going through in our world today? 
you know, there's, there's so much, and I, I, this is universal in humanity. It's just not happening today. It's happened all through recorded time and before time was recorded with humanity that uh, we challenge God. Humanity challenges God and God's wisdom just with the Tower of Babel. You know, we're going to build a tower so we can reach into heaven. We don't need God to reach down to us in grace. We're going to build our tower so we can reach up to him in our strength. So even at the Tower of Babel, you can see human, humans saying we can be as wise as and as strong as God is. We don't need him to come to us. We're going to go up there to him. Uh, and, of course, you know, God confounded that little plan, and it did not work. But Satan has infected us with sin. He's infected us. Oh, and I, I say this personally. That so often we want to think in our own wisdom and figure out our own path and figure out uh, the best thing that we can do humanly when we need to lean on him always. Because God knows best. We'll never have his wisdom. We'll never have his knowledge. That's, what, that's a tool of Satan's uh, toolbox. You can be as wise as God. Uh, and that is absolutely not going to happen. So he, he absolutely fools them. Uh, and, and misleads them. All right, so uh, point number one is he's consumed with our destruction, and he works toward that end throughout humanity. All right, here's the second point about Satan. Luke 10, verse 18, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Do you all know, I'm sure most of you know, Satan was not always lost. Satan was not always out of God's presence, but rather Satan was one of God's choice angels. What was his name? Lucifer. I, I thought it might be interesting. I've, I've had a lot of people ask me where this passage is, uh, a description of Satan. In the Old Testament, go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. So you're in the... Major prophets of the Old Testament, Ezekiel, chapter 28. And I want us to just read a few verses that describes Satan, Lucifer, and what he was like before his fall and why he fell, why God cast him out of his presence. Ezekiel 28. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2, then we're going to skip on down. But Ezekiel 28, verses 1 and 2, say this. And the word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man, and not God, though thou set thine heart as the heart of God. Now skip on down to verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and the gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes 
was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt there be any more. So what we see here is Lucifer in the presence of God. And the description of this angel of God in perfection was that he was absolutely beautiful. Uh, all of these precious stones that's listed in verse 13 uh, seem to be embedded on him. So here's this bright and shining, reflective angel of God. Remember in heaven, there is no night. So as he walks in this eternal day, he's this beautiful, shining angel of different colors with all of these stones that are embedded. And then also, I want you to notice this, and I'm sure that uh, Tom knows this very well. Uh, in, in verse 13, it says, the, uh, the workmanship of thy tabrets of, and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Supposedly, by just that verse, it appears that he was the leader of heaven's music. You notice it says that his pipes, a pipe organ, tabrets, the, uh, the, the Hebrew word is toth, T-O-T. P-H, toph. And it means basically a tabret is a tambourine. So something to keep timing in music. But it seems that this mighty angel, beautiful, the most beautiful of the angels, Lucifer, not only was, was uh, the picture of beauty, but also the picture of musicianship and leading the music of heaven. He was once that angel, a servant of God. Uh, anybody else know anything about the angel Lucifer that I've left out? Okay. His heart rises up saying, I want to take God's place. I am not, I'm not comfortable. I'm not satisfied being in a subservient role to God Almighty. I want to rise up and I want to assume the throne of Almighty God. I want to rebel against the holy God and take that throne. So this lead angel rises up against God, jealous of God's throne. He rebels. And of course, as you know, when you rise up against the mighty, holy God, 
it is not going to go well. He was forcefully thrown out of heaven. And also in these verses, I think you see the fires of hell uh, that's coming for Lucifer. Um, in retaliation, though, before the fires of hell come, and they do come, you can see that in Revelation, that he is cast into the deepest pit of hell. Uh, but before the fires do come, in retaliation, he moves among the created order. He has developed a hatred for God. And I can tell you, if someone hated me deeply, the best way for them to express their hatred to me would be to, to, to hurt my children, to hurt my wife, to hurt my family. And that's exactly what Satan does in order to, to twist the knife in God, is to hurt his children, to drag his children to the place that he knows he's going. He knows, he knows his future. Uh, it's not going to be a surprise. But in the days that he roams the earth, it is to draw us away from our holy God uh, and away from the love of God. Okay, the, the third thing that we want to see as an overview of Satan. In Matthew 25, God, Jesus describes hell as the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, I want you to notice this. Uh, again, from the book of Revelation, when Satan rebelled against God, he took one-third of the angelic force away from God, and it became a demonic force. In other words, there was a heaven-wide rebellion, and one-third of the angelic population left God's side and followed Satan, Lucifer. But I want you to notice, Jesus says in Matthew 25 that Hell, the eternal fire, is prepared for the devil and those who rebelled against him. It is not God's plan that humankind go there. It's not God's plan that humans go to hell. He gave us the way that we don't have to go to hell. And it is solely, exclusively through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we do know that Satan uh, is not in hell yet, but it will be his eternal damnation. Uh, if you want to write this reference down, just uh, uh, to, to keep track here, is Revelation 20.10. Revelation 20.10 says, and the, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So we know the end of the book. We know that Satan's influence is caught in a parameter of time. It's not eternal, but rather it is bound for time. But right now, he does have access to the earth. He does have power on earth to sway the systems of earth, the financial system of earth. He has the power to, to sway the government. He has the power to sway media. If you don't see that, your head is in the sand somewhere. Satan is the head of the world system. Prince of the power of the air. Basically, the three heavens, first, second, and third heaven. First heaven is where the birds fly. Second heavens is farther beyond us where the planets are, the creation is. The third heaven is the abode of God. So if that, if that helps you understand first, second, and third heaven. Um, but I want you to think about the temptation of Jesus 
You can see why I split this in, in uh, half, that we're, we're about to the halfway point here, getting close. But uh, think about the temptation of Jesus, temptation number three. Let's flip over to Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Matthew 4, 8 through 10. So here's the third temptation of Jesus as he meets the devil in the wilderness. And again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and said unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Here's my question to you. Was Satan telling Jesus the truth when he said, If you will worship me, I will give you all the world? He has power. He has sway. He has ownership in things of the world. Uh, so Satan does have that much power in earthly matters. Okay, let me, let me throw this question out to you uh, just, just to hear your thoughts about it. So this is kind of an open floor thing. God is all-powerful. God could stop this mess just like that. Why does he allow Satan the power that he has? Why did, you know, you think about Job. And, and God gave Satan the power to affect Job. And finally, he said, Job, God, uh, uh, Satan, you can do anything you want except one thing. You may not kill him, but you can do anything else to him to test his faith. He will not turn his back on me, and you can test him in any way except you may not kill him. Uh, amazingly, Satan killed his children. Satan took away everything he had. Satan took away his herds. But Satan couldn't kill Job because that was the one parameter God set Satan is on a war path right now and our days are drawing down I believe that I'm not I don't know if it's tomorrow or a hundred years or a thousand years from now but our days are drawing down why does God allow Satan the kind of power that he has right now so I'm gonna throw that out why didn't he stop it why does he allow Satan what he what he's doing right now it goes back to Adam and Eve. So, so it's, a, it's a matter of choice and faith. And God allows it, so we have to make a decision. Randy, am I saying more than you're saying? Great point. So kind of Pastor Clyde has used the chicken and the egg. Uh, you know, a, a chick has to peck its way and work its way out of the shell. And that's a, a design of God that gives the chicken strength to survive outside of the shell. It's the, it's the fight inside the shell that gives the chicken the, the strength to live outside of the shell. What Paul is saying is, in order to see the power of God, you have to get through the thorn, the thorn patch. You have to face Satan to understand the power of God. And a good point. So, in, in a lot of ways, perhaps God is weeding through true, the true faithful. You know, one thing that's, that stands out to me about the millennium, thousand years, Satan is in prison. Is bound. And yet the moment he is let out, rebellion begins again through him. Humankind didn't learn a thing in a thousand years. Isn't that amazing? Even the angelic forces. Uh, and by the word of the Bible, it seems that they were created all in one moment. Angels are not born. 
You notice that twice in that passage in Ezekiel, it says the, when you, the day you were created. Uh, so there's no birth process for angels. They were created as one unit, it seems, in one stroke, uh, but given free will. Well, we got we to gotta stop. But, uh, I, and, and I didn't get to my halfway point, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, here, here's the truth as we go into prayer tonight. The closer you and I get to God, and the closer this church gets to God in ministry, the more Satan will attack us. He does not care about the lazy church. He does not care about the lazy Christian. He does not care about the non-witnesser. He's going to attack the one who's active in the kingdom of God. True for individuals, true for the church. Let's, let's take him on. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you will join us on our next podcast.